Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning we're in the book of Genesis. We're continuing on where we had left off in Genesis chapter 28. We'll be picking up at verse 10. As you remember, in the story that we're in, we're studying the life of Jacob. Basically, Isaac and Rebekah and uh, their two boys, Esau and Jacob. And, and Jacob's name is supplanter, heel catcher, or deceiver. And what we're going to look at this morning is, is a lot of deception, a lot of things that kind of go wrong. Yesterday morning, we were at a, a men's uh, gathering over at uh, Calvary Chapel or Lighthouse uh, Church in Twin Falls, and uh, we had some wonderful speakers. Pastor uh, Jason Richardson was there from Calvary Chapel Kimberly, and he spoke on marriage, right? It's a men's thing, and he's talking about marriage and how to have a happy marriage. And I'm thinking, man, these guys here in this chapter could have learned a lot from what Jason had to share. And then Pastor Greg Thatness of uh, Lighthouse, he was sharing on being a, a humble herald, if you were, out of the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah preaches these five or these six woes on the world. Woe, woe, woe. But then he gets to woe number seven, and his woe is me. <laughs> I'm a man of unclean lips. And you know, we really don't have a place or a position to call anybody out until we take a look in. And we see that, you know what, i got to do business with God. There are things in the world that are wrong. There are things in this chapter that are wrong. There's things in the news that are wrong. But what we need to first start with is our heart. Get that right, and then we can work our way out, right? It's important that we have a right heart. Isaac and Rebecca, uh, they had two sons, um, obviously, e uh, Esau and Jacob. We know the story. And uh, things went kind of from bad to worse. It says that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob, right? And there was something not right in that family. It was a wrong family. You could even say the way that they treated their children, you could say, you could nickname them Mr. and Mrs. Right, right? Never and always, Mr. Never and always, Mrs. Always Right. And, and, and then we see, we picked up, and, and yet everything they do is wrong, right? Two rights don't make a wrong. Um, no, two wrongs don't make a right. <laughs> Got to get that one straight. We ended up last week, just before verse 10, where Esau, his brother, who had married these two Canaanite women, which were a grief to the family, and then God blesses Jacob and sends him off to get a bride from a good family, not the Canaanite family, uh, some of their relatives. Esau sees all this and trying to make his mom and dad happy, goes out and marries a daughter of Ishmael, thinking that three wrongs can make a right. And that doesn't work, right? <laughs> Gary was telling me earlier, two wrongs don't make a right, but two rights can make an airplane. <laughs> Finally, I got... <laughs> I hit Tater. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back into the Word. I think I'm safer there. Okay, so <laughs> Esau, his mom, Rebecca, says, you need to leave. Your brother wants to kill you. Go on up and live with my, my uh, uh, brother Laban. Tell, 
he cools down, get a bride, and come on back, okay? So, verse 10, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, okay? And uh, this is about 500 miles journey, so it's going to take him a better part of a month maybe to get there, depending on how fast he moves. Verse 11, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. So he's out kind of camping, doing the wilderness thing, the rugged man thing. He's doing the Esau thing, right? He's a man who dwells in tents and is mild and uh, perfect in all his ways, but this is a little bit outside of his comfort zone. And so he pulls up to this place, and uh, it says he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep. You know, it's said that a, a clean conscience makes a soft pillow. Isn't that so true? When you have no guilt or no shame, you just sleep sweet like a baby, right? But if you're wandering in this world, if you're on the run, if you're restless, if you're wrestling with God, it's like sleeping on a rock. And this is Jacob. He pulls up a rock to sleep on, okay? Then he dreamed, and, beheld a, and behold, a ladder was set up on earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land, of which you land on which you lie, I will give to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken you. And so he has this amazing dream, right? He leaves home. And remember, the reason he's leaving home, his mom, and he concocted up this scheme to deceive his father and to get the blessing that his father wanted to give to Esau. And, and, and in fact, he did. He got the blessing from his father, but it was through deception. It was that supplanting his brother's position in his birthright and his blessing. And, and then the net result of this is all kinds of things just start unraveling. And here he is now running, you could say, for his life from his brother Esau. He's running to get up to his uncle, Uncle Laban's, and and in the middle of all this, God meets him. This is Jacob's first meeting with God. He's about 77 years old at this time, okay? Now, he's been raised up, the, the, the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac. All the blessings have come to him. In fact, just the last part of the chapter before, Isaac gave him that great covenant blessing that God will bless you and multiply you and make you many nations and you'll be a blessing to the world and I'll protect you and all these things. I'll give you the land. He's heard all that his whole life, but here he is now finally out of the house, out on his own, really on his own, and now he stopped and God can talk to him. How often that is true with us, and how often it is true with many people who have grown up, even in the church. They've heard all the church stories. They could teach the church stories. They could even teach in Sunday school. They could, they could go walk, and, and, and everybody would think, man, you are just the chosen one. God's got this blessing on you. You come from this wonderful family. You've got this hope and this promise. But Jacob didn't have Jesus. 
He didn't have the Lord. But God didn't want to leave him that way. He loved him too much to leave him that way. And so we see he has this dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, or a stairway. The word is sulam in the Hebrew, and it's only used this one place in the whole Old Testament. So you have to kind of put together what it is, but it's a series of steps ascending, okay? And it could be nicknamed a stairway to heaven, if you would, or whatever. But it's something that's set up on earth, and it, in this dream, he says, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. It's an amazing vision that he has, the angels of God, the messengers of God. You know, just a little side note on angels, and I don't want to get into too much angelology, but we read in Hebrews that the angels are ministering servants to minister to those who would receive salvation. God sends angels for us to help us in our walk, to help us come to him in heaven. And that angels, their primary domain is actually here on earth. This is where they go, and then they ascend up, they report in, and they ascend down in the book of Job. He even asked Lucifer, where have you been going? I'm to and fro over the whole earth, right? And this is where angels' basic realm of operation is. And in fact, you think of the whole universe that God has created with galaxies and stars and nebulas and all these kind of pulsars and everything else, and there's this one little speck called earth with human beings. What would be the most interesting place to hang out? along with those crazy humans. What's this salvation thing? They inquire, they look into the things of salvation. It's the one thing that just really, they're so focused on. Angels' primary business is to assist us to get to heaven. And these angels are going up and down this stairway, this ladder. And Jacob is seeing all this in this dream. And he, he starts to realize he's not alone. Verse 13, and behold, the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh God, his personal name, stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Wow, this is the promise. Yeah, dad gave him the promise, granddad gave him the promise, but now God gives him the promise personally and directly. Have you received personally and directly from God, his heart, his words, his presence, that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your God, and he is going to complete that which he began in you. This is where Jacob had to come in all of his deceptions and all of his cunning and scheming, all of these things that he was trying to do to get ahead in life, maybe to build his own stairway to heaven. He realized, I can't do it on my own. It's just not possible. I don't care what Led Zeppelin said. It doesn't work that way. You're going to need God's help. It's interesting here because he sees the Lord at the top of the ladder, but what's really interesting to me is the ladder. And it's something really cool that Jesus helps us to understand. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, he's talking to a follower who he wants to reach out to. His name is Nathaniel. And in John chapter 1, beginning at verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit, <laughs> no guile. The total opposite of Jacob. This is an Israelite that doesn't have that, that deceitful heart. He says, um, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Verse 48, then in John 1, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? 
Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, which is teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. How did you know that's what I was doing, sitting under that fig tree, just studying? Picture of Judaism and Israel and how he was so devout. But verse 50 is where it really blows the doors open. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, And he said to him, Most assuredly, that's the verily, verily, amen and amen is what it literally says. Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Wow, just like Jacob did, right? But how does Jesus finish this? You will see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am that ladder. I am that bridge from earth to heaven. He would say in John chapter 14, with the disciples in the upper room, as he promised him, the disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going, and, and I'm going to come back and get you to me. And Philip says, we don't know the way. And Jesus answered, and he says, I am the way. I'm the ladder. I'm the stairs. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And this is that picture. And Jacob is having an encounter with Jesus Christ. And God himself from the top, from heaven, gives him this promise, this declaration. I have chosen you from before the foundations of the world that you would be my vessel. I'm going to use you through you, my seed, my Messiah, my Christ, will come into the world and bless the whole world. And it has nothing to do with you, Jacob, because you're just... You're a deceiver. You're a trickster. You're a con man. You're a fraud. If it was based on what you could do, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But I finally got you alone. I finally got your attention. I finally got you broke down to the point you're sleeping on a rock. Listen to what I'm going to do for you. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, the east, the north, and the south. In you, your seed, and that's singular seed, not lots of seeds, all of his offspring, but the specific seed. And this is kind of fun. You know, in sports, we often have the saying, keep your eye on the ball, right? You know what that's about, right? If you want to hit the ball or if you want to catch the ball or whatever, the ball is in play. You're never going to succeed unless you keep your eye tracking with that ball. Well, here in the book of Genesis, you'd better say, or it would be better said, keep your eye on the seed. We've been watching this from Genesis in the um, garden at the fall with uh, Adam and Eve and Satan. And, and God said, I'm going to send my seed. He's going to crush the serpent. And we've been watching the progress of the seed through the scriptures. It'll go all the way into the New Testament, and we'll see that that seed is Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on the seed, okay? And your seed and all the families there shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. That's a covenant. That's a promise that God made. 
that what he began in Jacob, he's going to complete. I'm going to send you out. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to bring you back to me. And what does Jacob have to do for God to fulfill all these things? Nothing. Nothing. God just says, I'm going to do it. It has nothing to do with your performance, Jacob. It's just who I am. I love you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get my job done of bringing that seed into the world. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. <laughs> and he was afraid, really kind of in awe, okay, gobsmacked, okay. He's like, wow, whoa, that would be awesome, right? How fantastic. I've just met the living God. Do you remember when you first really came face to face with Jesus in your heart. You broke down to the point you're humbled out enough that you called upon the name of the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, save me a sinner. And he did. And you're just like overflowing, ecstatic, in awe. This is Jacob. He's, he's afraid. He's in awe and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Just exciting here how he, he reacts to this. Surely the Lord's in this place, and I did not know it. It kind of shows you Jacob before, the old man, and Jacob later, now, after an encounter with God. Wow, God was here, and I didn't even know it. You know, I mentioned angels before, right? How many angels are in this room right now? I don't know. Are there any? Almost certainly, okay? The Bible teaches that every child has an angel that watches over him. So, I don't know, there's 50 of them down the hall. This is a reality sometimes we need to stop and realize. God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He sent a heavenly host. And now here we are with God himself. And he's in this place. And it's amazing. I like what David writes in Psalm 139. Uh, beginning of verse 7, David writes, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It's a thing we call in theology omnipresence. God is everywhere, always, all the time. There's no place that God isn't ever there. Okay, but God is spirit, and you have to understand him, see him, receive him, believe on him in the spirit. You must worship him in spirit and in truth. In fact, he's here. In fact, he's watching. In fact, he's participating in what we're doing right now. And Jacob is just in awe of this, so he names the place the house of God, also Bethel. Beth being the Hebrew word for house, and El being the short word for God. It's the house of God. Bethel gets more mention in the Bible than any other city in the Old Testament except for Jerusalem. 59 verses talk about Bethel in the Bible, and here Jacob's naming and christening the name of this place. Now, sadly, over time, Bethel kind of falls into a place of idolatry in the 10 northern tribes, okay? But nevertheless, it's a significant place. A lot of people pass through Bethel. Many of them don't even realize that God is in this place. But Jacob does, okay? How awesome is this place? None of the house of 
God, the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put in his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it or consecrated it, okay? So this pillow that he had, now it's become a memorial stone. It'll be a thing for all uh, perpetuity that he can come back and remember, this is the place I met God. Do you have that memorial stone in your heart? Can you think right now as we sit here, I remember, I remember the time that I met God and I, and I stopped and I recognized it and Jacob took oil and that's a, that's a picture of anointing or consecrating and he poured it on that stone to set it apart and make it significant in his heart, something he would never forget, something he would always remember. And poured oil on top of it, verse 19, and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. Luz means separated. It's so interesting, right? He, he was separated from God. He didn't have a walk with God. He didn't have a relationship with God. He didn't know. He gets up from that dream that he has and recognizes God has always been here. God is here. This is the house of God. Kind of cool. I like it. It's a progression that we see in the book of Romans in chapter 8. When you finally come into a living relationship with Jesus Christ, along with Paul, you can say there is now, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, that's the old man, that's Jacob's old style, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It goes on to say, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin and condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. I love that. It starts out in Romans chapter 8, no condemnation. And when you finally come to that place where you realize that God has cleaned the slate, he, he has forgiven your sins through his son, Jesus Christ. He's made the way for you to come into heaven. And now you can come in without guilt, without fear, without shame, and rejoice and worship him gladly. And, and that's how it starts off, no condemnation. But I love how Romans 8 then finishes, beginning at verse 35, we read, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Remember what the name of that city used to be? Luz, separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine and nakedness or peril of sword as it is written? For your sake we are killed all day long and counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is Christ Jesus our Lord, the latter, the way, the truth, the life. My God. Verse 20. And Jacob made a vow saying, if, and your Bible may say if, that can be translated since. Okay? 
And it can be read in both ways. I, I tend to look at it more like since, okay? Since God will be with me. It's not a question of whether or not God will be with me. God said, I will be with you. So, since God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. It's somewhat like a Jacob's version of the sinner's prayer. Right? That, that, that thing that we talk about in Christianity, that prayer that you pray, that conversation that you have with God, when you finally come face to face, square up with Him, do business with Him and say, I'm a sinner. I need salvation. I need your son, Jesus Christ. I can't do it without you. And, and I confess that you are God and that you love me and that you went to the cross for my sins, you died in my place. You paid my debt. That now my debt is cleared. I'm no longer uh, looked upon as a sinner by you. But you see the finished product in me. And, and you walk on with the Lord. And, and, and this is Jacob as best as he can. I remember when I first came to the Lord. I was 28 years old. I had been raised going to churches my whole life. But it wasn't until 28 that God broke through. And I remember the evening that it happened. As the sun was setting, it was getting dark in my apartment. I was in the hallway between my bedroom and my bathroom. And I was just so distraught and so broken and so weary of life. Just ready to give up. I just, nothing seemed to work. And I, I, I knew people had told me about Jesus. I'd been going to a church. They'd been preaching out of the Bible. I'd, for the first time, heard the Word of God loud and clear, and I realized I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. And they told me, you need to call on the name of Jesus. And I'm like, okay, you know, my whole life I'd gone to church and this and that and the other. But there in that hallway, as the sun was fading out of the room, I dropped to my knees. And I said, God, I don't know if you're real. Hard for me to believe that you, Jesus, could be God, eternal, immortal. I'm having a hard time with that. But nothing I'm doing is working. Everything I'm doing is broken. I will put my trust in you. Show yourself to me. Make yourself real to me. What? I'm give, what I'm giving you, and I remember I told him, I said, you're getting a really bad deal. <laughs> I am such a basket case. But if you'll take me, you can have me. Do, do your best. <laughs> that was my prayer. I didn't know how to pray. I really didn't practice that much. Jacob really didn't know how to pray. But as best as he could... He did business with God, and God met him there. I love what he says, and surely I will give a tenth to you. That word is literally increase. As you have blessed me, let me bless back to you. I remember shortly after I asked Jesus to come into my life, I started reading the Bible. I had read it 
on and off before, but I really started reading and paying attention. I was in the book of Joel because I picked all the small books. You know, there's some books in the Bible. They're only like three chapters. They're pretty easy. And I started reading all the small ones as much as I could, first, second, third, John, you know, and I, I end up with Joel. And in Joel, I read this story where God says, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. All these swarming locusts and chewing locusts and all the things that had been destroyed in my life. And sure enough, God did. He, he, he answered that prayer and made me a new person and, and not only restored to me what I had once been of sound mind and body, but he also gave me increase. And I'm like, Lord, that's all yours. That's all yours. And that's what Jacob is really saying here. I'll give you of the increase. It's all to you, all to your glory, all to your honor. So it's a fantastic picture here of God taking this deceitful, conniving, scheming man and taking him to a place where he can finally get his attention and revealing his glory and his presence and his hope and his truth and his promise. And that man humbling out enough to say, I receive what you've given me. Have you done that? I, I, I would think everybody would do that. I, I, if, have you done that? I, I would think. I think that I would get a lot of amens in this room, if I, right? I would think. Maybe I don't know y'all. Um, but this is just one of those beautiful, beautiful pictures. Well, in chapter 28, you could say it's a picture of saving Jacob. Now, as we move into chapter 29 through 35, the balance of this passage teaching on Jacob in uh, the book of Genesis, it's more like the sanctification of Jacob. In saving Jacob, we see fruits come into his life. We see that he worships. He anoints the pillar and he prays to God and he praises God. We see that he works, that he gets busy doing things according to the Lord, in including dedicating this place to him. And we see his walk changes. And then in the next handful of chapters, we're going to see him, now that he's been saved, being sanctified. That's that ongoing work of being set apart. And in Jacob's case, it's going to have to do with subduing him because he still has a little bit of flesh that needs to be meat tenderized. And he learns to serve God, okay? And finally, in chapter 30, he's going to get seasoned, a seasoned Christian. And this is going to come through his wives and the baby wars, but we're not there yet. So, chapter 29. And Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. That's where he started out this morning, and now he's there. It's interesting. It says Jacob went on his journey. Literally, it, picked, it says he picked up his feet. And the connotation is he didn't just pick up his feet, but he was happy. He had happy feet. Woo! Right? And that's that kind of that picture. Now that he's born again, now that he is a believer, now that he is a follower of God, he's got God's promise and God's grace, he's got God's angels, and he's got God working on his behalf. Man, his steps are light. He's just moving on out. He's got happy feet, right? That's just a picture of him. And verse 10, and he looked and he saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Okay, so... He's coming to this area, this, this place, and 
Verse 3, now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. So in some way, this was some kind of uh, safeguard to keep people from falling in the well or something like that. And they would wait until all the sheep got there and then they would roll the well away and they'd water all the sheep and then cover back up, okay? Verse 4, and Jacob said to them, he saw these people, and Jacob said to them, my brethren, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. Wow, that's where I was going. Back in those days, they didn't have GPS. You wouldn't know if you got there unless you started asking, where am I? And he says, well, we're from Haran. Oh, that's where I'm trying to get to. Verse 5, and he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? That's where he's supposed to go. This is Rebekah's brother that he was being sent to. And they said, we know. And so they said to them, is he well? And he said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. What a coincidence. You know, the rabbis say there is no such word as, or it's not a kosher word. Coincidence is not kosher. Okay? It's providence. God is in the details. And here comes Rachel, verse 7, and he said, look, it's still high day. It's not time for the is it not time for the cattle to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go feed them. Now, this is kind of funny if you unravel that. You know what he just said? I'm here at the well. I see all these shepherd boys with all their flocks, and I'm wondering where I'm at. I'm at Haran. Oh, good. You know Laban? Good. Look, there's his daughter. Whoa. Hey, you guys, you need to get done and get, go take care of the cattle because we got some business to do here. Did, did you see that? Because that's what's there. Right? He's kind of excited. Woohoo! God's prospering my journey. I'm not going to have to wait long to get this done. Then he said, Look, it's still high day. It's not time for the cattle to be gathered. Is it not time for the cattle to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go feed them. Get it done and get gone. Verse 8. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks gather together, and they've rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and then we water the sheep. I'm thinking all these young sheep herders are thinking, yeah, we're waiting for Rachel too. <laughs> you could read that in so many different ways. We're just being courteous, and we just wait till everybody gets here. That could be what they're saying also. Verse 9, now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And wow, this is so cool in this picture. Um, Rachel, her name means you, E-W-E, a female sheep, okay? For whatever reason, her father Laban thought it would be really cool to name her a sheep, a female sheep. So she's you, okay? And she's a shepherdess. And verse 10, and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban's mother's brother. Wow, this is really cool, right? And it's kind of almost a he-man moment, kind of like, wow, okay, let me show her what I can do. And he takes it upon himself to roll the stone away, and then he waters the sheep for her. That was her job, but he does it for her. It's reminiscent of what Abraham's servant did when he went and saw Rebekah, he had his camels, and he said, I'm going to throw out a fleece before the Lord. If she will give me a drink of water and then offer to water my ten camels, she's the one. And sure enough, that is what happened. And Rebecca watered the servant's camels. Well, no doubt, Rebecca, being the aunt of Rachel here, they, Rachel would know this story, and all of a sudden, 
she's meeting this guy who's rolling the stone away and watering my flocks, okay? It's a little bit of reverse, but you can see a lot of the fingerprints on it. Verse 11, if you didn't get it till then, you're going to get it right now. Then Jacob kissed Rachel. <laughs> okay, the cat's out of the bag. And lifted his voice and wept. That's weird, okay? If you just are walking out to the field, you got your sheep, you get there, a guy's there, you've never seen him before, he rolls it away, he waters the sheep, he comes over and kisses you and starts crying. <laughs> no doubt, he's overcome with joy, but from her vantage point, it's just kind of probably a little odd. Verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that she was Rebekah's son. That explains the kiss, because that's a, that's a greeting, a familial greeting. We're relative, we're in-law, we're family. We hug, we kiss, that's okay. I get that, okay. And that might even explain the crying, okay. You've been coming a long way, and finally your journey's over, and you're just overcome with joy, okay. Then it came to pass, when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now, Uncle Laban probably has different motives. And when I say that, because we're going to look at how he behaves in the coming chapters here. But remember Laban, this was Rebekah's brother. And when Abraham's servant came and found Rebekah, remember what he did. Right away, he put bracelets, gold bracelets, a gold nose ring on. And he came and he met Laban and he just piled all kinds of gold and treasure on the family. And now Laban hears the story. Oh, it's Isaac boy, and he's here, and he's looking for a bride. Cha-ching! Right? Here comes the gravy train, and he runs, Hey, come on in, you're a relative, stay with me for a month. Have you heard of the story? Um, um, having relatives over, a good rule of thumb is, is having relatives over or staying at somebody's house is like uh, having a fish in the house, Right? Stay about two days, maybe three, then it starts to stink. <laughs> eh, that's a bad one. So, not all relatives are like that. But it can kind of, it, it's so wonderful to have you here. We haven't seen each other, and you talk, and you have fun for several days. But at the end of the week, and they drive out the driveway, and you're like, bye. And you're like, <gasps> <laughs> This was a month, okay? And so... Let's see, where are we doing on time? I'm going to have to wrap her up here. I'm going to try to finish out this little piece. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what your sure wages be. Laban is twice the con man, twice the deceiver as Jacob. And what he's doing, he's setting him up. You've been here a month. It's time for you to get to work. Okay, so what I'm going to pay you, okay? Um, in other words, he say, if you want to stay, you need to work. You need to serve. You're not bringing gifts. You're not bringing golds. What am I getting out of the deal? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. We know Rachel meant you. Leah, her name means weary, okay? And I've, I've heard it told in different um, studies that her name means cow, right, or gazelle. But in all my looking and research, I cannot find that. So if you've heard that, show me wrong. 
and I'll, I'll go ahead and see it. But in the Hebrew, it really means she's kind of weary. And I don't know what that means. Maybe Laban's wife was really tired when she was born or something like that. So she's the older, Rachel's the younger. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. She was a real looker, whereas Leah was not a real looker. And that could have to do with her eyesight being delicate. That means tender or weak. Maybe she just had poor vision. Or maybe she was hard on the eyes. But <laughs> we laugh, and I, I, we're going to have to see these people when we get to heaven, and you're going to have to account for what you just laughed at. So <laughs> we don't know, okay? But you're going to see a real big tug-of-war develop here, and there is certainly a difference between Rachel and Leah. And Rachel was beautiful for form and appearance. And, and the Bible rarely notes that. But in this case, she was um, quite whatever Jacob thought was awesome, she was that. Verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you that I than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. Now, Laban's cooking up a plan here, right? And look at Jacob. He's offering to work seven years for her. This is really amazing, okay? So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Oh, isn't love grand? What you would do for love. Seven years, right? He didn't have any gold to offer. He didn't have any dowry. He didn't have anything to give the family, but he could give him his labor. So he gave him seven years of labor for Laban. And this was, was the deal. And Jacob said to Laban, give me, or I'm sorry. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. Okay, that's just a euphemism for having sexual relations. They would consummate the marriage. He's waited seven years. It's time. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a great feast, a big wedding. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Oh, not good. Now, Laban could have easily orchestrated this. In the wedding, the bride would have a veil, right? And it was something that wouldn't be removed till they got to the bridal chamber. And if it was after dark, and if there had been much wine going around or any of that, one thing went to another, and uh, Jacob pulled a fast one, or Laban pulled a fast one on him. Um, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her into Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid, so it came to pass in the morning, that's kind of her gift, you can have a, a, a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Ha, the deceiver meets his match, right? And you wake up and you're like, oh no. How many of you have ever been in that position where, you know, some of your old life caught up to you? And even though you're not walking that way anymore, and you, it's just like sometimes things come back into your life from your past, and it's like a boomerang. And it's like you're going to have to deal with it. Well, he does deal with it. Verse 26, and Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. You'd think over seven years he would have learned that tradition. 
Somewhere along the line, he would pick up. You always have to have the firstborn born or married. But anyways, this is what Laban says. So he says, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which will serve me still another seven years. And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter, Rachel, as a wife also. And just for a little side note, Bible students, that word week is Shemitah. And the reason I bring that up, we see it throughout the, the law in the book of Leviticus, um, and it really has to do with a cluster of seven. It could be seven days, it could be seven years. In the book of Daniel, it talks about um, 70 weeks, and it's 70 groups of seven years. And here is kind of a proof text. If you want to see that word for weeks being seven years, this is it right here. Those, that, those seven that week was seven years, not seven days. So he served seven more years for Rachel. And verse 29, Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban still another seven years. I don't want to gloss over that too much just to kind of get to the sense of it, but do you see what's creeping in here? Loved one more than another. Let me, let me just touch on a couple things really quick here. I don't want to make this really any worse than it has to be. But the, the subject comes up, as well it should, polygamy. Does God condone multiple wives and that kind of a thing? And the answer is no. Now, Jesus would, would uh, underscore this in the New Testament, but he, Jesus would quote out of Genesis 2.26, and the two, one man, one woman, shall become one flesh, for life, monogamous marriage. Anything outside of that is not God's plan, okay? Because marriage is a picture for the world to see what our relationship to him, Jesus is like, the bride, the church, and Jesus, the groom. And anything outside that picture ruins it. So this is something that is not condoned, and we're going to see all kinds of problems come out of this, okay? What's my time, Teddy? I think it's time for us to wrap up. Okay. So, we're going to have to do this pretty quick. It's the baby wars. You ready? Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served with Laban still another seven years. So it's not bad enough that he loved one more than another. But look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and that word is hated. We've talked about hated. Esau I have, Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. He chose against. This is what it says. The Lord saw that Leah was hated. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God is intervening here. Okay, so Leah conceived and bore a son, and she, it's interesting, the women are the ones that name all these babies, okay? And the names are going to be rather telling. What they're doing is actually battling it out, having feuds. This sister wives thing and these TV shows that they make that it's all good, it ain't. It is bad. There's all kinds of problems that come out of it. And here's a classic example. She called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Reuben means, see, a son. Ha ha. I'm the hated one, but I got the baby. 
okay? And she made this fatal mistake that people make all the time. They're in a relationship. A woman's in a relationship with a man. She's trying to secure that relationship. And so what she does is she says, if I get pregnant and have a baby, then he'll love me. Not so. Not necessarily. In fact, quite often not. And in this case, it didn't. But that was her thinking, and that's why she names him. See, a son. It says in verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, unloved, he has therefore given me a son also. And she called his name Simeon. And Simeon means heard or hearing. You know, this is God's answer to my prayers. Another baby, you got to love me now. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now, this time, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi, which means to be attached or to be joined. You've got to love me. Now, I gave you three boys. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, now, I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. She finally got to the point where she says, this isn't working. He doesn't love me. He despises me. He hates me. All these babies that I have, you know, maybe I should just enjoy this baby. <laughs> maybe this baby isn't about the baby wars. Maybe I should just love the baby for the sake of the baby. And she praises God for the baby. Thank you for the baby. And she names the baby Judah. It's interesting when you get into the book of Matthew and the genealogies, and it goes down through Abraham begot Isaac, begot Jacob, and then we see um, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. That's how it's written in the book of Matthew and the genealogies, because it's through Judah that the seed, remember, keep your eye on the seed. This is where Jesus comes into the picture. It's through Judah that Jesus Christ will be born. I'm going to keep going, and we'll figure this out. If you'll bear with me, I'm going to read it really fast, all the way to 24. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger aroused against Rachel and said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So they're getting into all this. These two lovebirds. Now, envy and anger are just destroying their marriage, and angie, anger and envy are terrible motives to do anything. You know, the, the, uh, the anger of man cannot bring about the grace of God, right? The wrath of man. It's just not going to work. And, and they're angry, and they're envious, and it leads to wrong actions. So, she said, here is my maid, Bilhah. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she shall call his name Dan. Dan means judge. Aha! <laughs> now I got a baby. Take that, Leah. Well, it's really not even her baby, right? But her heart is just wrong, and she names this baby judgment. <laughs> that this will bring judgment on you, right? This is terrible between these sisters. It's awful. Um, keep going. Verse 8. Um, Rachel, or Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived a son and bore Jacob a second son. Verse 8, Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister. Indeed, I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali which means wrestling. So you grow up your whole life 
What's your name? Oh, I'm wrestling. Well, what's that all about? Well, when I was born, there was this baby war, and uh, I was some of the collateral damage. Mom and dad weaponized us kids against one another, and never forget that your whole life. That's your name. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife, and Leah's maid Zip. Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes, right? This is uh, her fifth baby, baby number seven altogether, but fifth one to uh, Leah's account. So she called his name Gad, and that means a troop, right? Uh, an army, okay? So, man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pumping them out. I got an army on my team. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Leah said, I'm happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher which means happy, right? We have a baby in our church, Asher, right? Uh, Jesse and Larissa's baby, and he is the happiest little baby. If you don't know Asher, you need to know Asher because he's just pure happy. He, he fits his name so perfect. Verse 14, Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Now, mandrakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac, uh, some kind of a fertility drug. It was a hallucinogenic. It's a painkiller. It's of the nightshade family like belladonna. It does do things to people. But as far as whether or not that can make you have babies or not, that's speculative. But it was considered that in the day. The um, word here in Hebrew is actually the love apple. That's what it was called. And it was a root that grew in the ground like a carrot and everything. But people thought somehow if you, ha you eat this, you can become more fertile. It's not too different from today. You know, we have people that are trying to get pregnant and they will make sure they get their diet right. They'll include this or less of that. And sometimes there can help in issues of fertility. Um, and I've even heard of stories where people try to eat certain kinds of food because they're trying to have a boy or trying to have a girl, right? Again, I'm not saying it's right. And the Bible's not saying it's right. All the Bible is doing is reporting it. It's like a newspaper. If the newspaper headline says, uh, you know, a village in uh, Ukraine has been bombed and many fatalities, does that mean the newspaper condones or approves that action? They're just reporting the action. The Bible is reporting this. The Bible does not condone polygamy. It's not saying that you should get into this superstitious stuff. It's just what they did. Okay, so... But she said to her, is it a small matter you have taken away my husband? This is Leah to Rachel. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went in to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name wages. That's what Issachar means. I hired it. I paid the sister off. And so this is the weird thing. It must have been Rachel's night. And Rachel says, listen, I'll give you my night if you'll give me the mandrakes. And, and Leah's like, okay, that's a good deal. And so she does, and then she names the baby, I paid for you, I hired you. Just sad, okay? This is warped, okay? Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Okay, now she's having some babies. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. Zebulun means dwelling, that he'll really dwell with me. I've given him a really good dowry. 
you know normally the bride when she's given to the husband the family would pay a dowry in her case she's given him all these sons he's got to dwell with me now verse 21 afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name dinah dinah means judgment the battle's not over they're just they're they're rocking on then verse 22 god remembered rachel and listened to her and opened her womb depending on you how you keep score this is like 12 babies later now rachel's going to have a baby and she conceived and bore a son and said god has taken away my reproach and she called his name joseph and said the lord shall add to me another son Woohoo! now we're off to the races it's begun this is only the beginning there's gonna be lots more sons okay that's why she named him joseph which means he shall add this is just the beginning one there's going to be a lot more watch you'll wait and see There'll be one more. That won't come until chapter 36. And she will die giving birth to Benjamin. And that will round out what is known as the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, Jacob's name will be changed from heel catcher or deceiver to prince of God, Israel. And these 12 boys will be known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, worship team, I should ask you to come on up. Just closing up with this last thought. This is just sordid stuff. Honestly, this is not the kind of stuff pastors dream about teaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning. We would skip it. But God has given us a mandate to teach God's word, book by book, chapter by chapter, because it's God's word that is active and alive and powerful and can change our hearts. And these issues that we talk about today, maybe they weren't for you and maybe this stuff is just alien and foreign to you. But I know you know people who are going through baby wars. I know you know people who are going through all kinds of dysfunctional families and all kinds of marital problems and the bible doesn't gloss over it the bible doesn't skip it the bible deals with it and the bible shows there's a lot of pain and heartache that comes out of it but the bible shows that god can take all things and work them together for good to those who love god and are called according to his purpose let me read what happens here as we go on down this is Joseph, the one that was just finally born, last chapter of Genesis, the brothers have sold Joseph into slavery. Those 12 brothers, the 11 brothers, he's in Egypt. You know the story of Joseph. At the end of the day, the brothers come back to Joseph and basically are totally humbled out. And Joseph is the one who's able to save not only them, but the promise, the seed, Judah, and the whole story, it funnels down to this Joseph. And we read in Genesis chapter uh, 50, verse 18, the brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Rachel spoke prophecy, he shall add. She didn't realize she would die. 
But she was right. Because of Joseph, the whole nation of Israel would survive and flourish and come forward and bring us Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Let's go ahead and close up in prayer. We have our meeting right afterwards, the Vacation Bible School meeting. Grab your cookie, grab your coffee. Trust me, they'll be much faster than I. They're going to go through it really quick. And we can enjoy this beautiful afternoon out there. Bow your heart with me. Father God, we do thank you for your word. And while much of it can be difficult, even painful, it may be even um, just feels like pulling scabs sometimes off an old wound. It, it hurts to see the hate, the disregard, the deception, and to realize, Lord, the consequences of our actions. But I pray, Lord Jesus, that just as you had promised, you'll never leave us or forsake us. You will complete that which you begin in us. The world might mean it for evil, but you mean it for good. And I pray for every one of us that we would take these lessons and learn how to help others that are going through these struggles, to bring them to you, the way, the truth, and the life, that they might know you and the joy and the hope of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.